Well, good morning, church. We're glad that you're here this morning. For those of you that are first time with us or maybe new to us, just want to let you know my name is Doug Osborne. I'm the East Campus Pastor, and we are thrilled that you are with us today. And we began a series last week called Mindfield. And before we jump into it, I want to recommend a couple of books that some of you may have found out last week. Doug, you may say, Doug, this is exactly where I'm living right now. I'm struggling with the battle of the mind. And I want to recommend a couple of books. One is written by Louis Giglio. It's called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, and which is a perfect title for the minefield battle. And so if you're struggling with that, here's a book you can read. It's incredible. Also, I want to encourage you, there's a book by Craig Rochelle. It's called Winning the War in Your Mind, How to Win the War in Your Mind. And so if you want to look at through those, when we're done today, you can take a look through my copies. And if so, maybe you want to order one. That would be incredible. Now, the reason we kind of launched into the series is because I really feel like it is crucial for us to talk about this idea of the minefield. Because whether we believe it or not, every single one of us is in a battle. And the battles that we find ourselves in aren't physical battles. We may find ourselves in altercations from time to time, maybe verbally, hopefully not physically. But the reality is even those things aren't a physical battle. They're a reflection of the spiritual battle that we are in. Now hear me on this church. Many of you need to know that we are in a spiritual battle, and that battlefield is the mind. Where this battle takes place is not a flesh and blood, it's not in your backyard, it is right here. And for many of you today, if you were honest, you would say, there's some things in my mind that are holding me captive. Like a while ago, we said, well, the sun sets free, or free indeed, I'm a child of God Yes, I am, right? And some of you sang that and you declared that. But the truth of the matter is, you're not living free. Your, your mind is held captive to some things that it shouldn't be. And we just need to know this morning and be reminded that we are in a minefield. That we are in a spiritual battle. It's not physical, it's spiritual. And listen, if we're going to win the battle, last week we said there's some things that we need to do. First of all, we need to use spiritual weapons. Do you remember the two spiritual weapons? One was what? Anybody remember? Okay, you're like, I don't know if I remember. Say it out like loud and proud. What was it? Prayer. Prayer. And what was the other one? The Word of God, right? There's two spiritual weapons. Kudos to the five of you that remember that. All right, here we go. So we need prayer and we need the Word of God. Those are two spiritual weapons that we need to use if we're going to win this battle. And not only that, if we're going to win this battle, we need to be able to identify the strongholds that are in our life. Those strongholds are those ways of thinking that we've allowed, listen to me, we've allowed them to creep into our minds that is in opposition to the truth of God's word. And we've got to make sure that we identify those strongholds, and then we do the last thing, that we take those thoughts captive. As Paul said in Colossians, we take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. That means we take them captive and we compare what I'm thinking to truth, and if what I'm thinking is not the truth of God's word, then I need to replace that thought with truth. And so if we're going to win this battle, church, we've got to have the right weapons. We've got to identify the strongholds. And then we've got to compare what we're thinking. Every thought has got to be taken captive and make sure that it's in line with the truth of God's word. Now, if you're beginning to do that, so what's next? Okay, Doug, if if I've done that, if I I know that my battlefield is spiritual, and I know that my battlefield is my mind, and I I have the weapons, I'm praying, I'm in God's word, I've identified my strongholds, Doug, and I'm taking every thought captive, what's next for me? And I believe what's next for all of us, if you find yourself there, is now we need to develop a godly way of thinking. We need to develop a godly thought life. 
And the best way we can do that, the, one, the passage that really jumps out to me when it comes to this is the book of Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And really the idea we're talking about is, what do I need to do to develop a godly thought life? Now that I've identified strongholds, now that I'm taking every thought captive, now that I'm using my spiritual weapons, Doug, what's next for me? Well, here's what's next. We've got to develop a godly thought life. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to ask you one more time to stand in honor of reading God's word, and I want to read the first nine verses. It says this in chapter 4, actually beginning in verse uh, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudoia and entreat Cynthia and agree in the Lord. Yes, I, I also ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me and the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Listen to this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say what? Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone that the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Let in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, Whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today, and I pray that you would help us see the truth in your word. May you bring clarity where there's confusion in our hearts and our minds today. So God, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Now, obviously, when we think about developing a godly thought life, our minds will automatically go to verse 8. And we're going to spend most of our time today in verse 8 and a little bit in verse 9. But here's what I want you to know. Even though verse 8 is the nucleus to what we're going to talk about, we can't divorce ourselves from verse 1 through 7. So if you go back and you read verses 1 through 7, here's some things that you would find out. Obviously, this young church, this church that's trying to live for the Lord, this church is trying to grind it out in faith, this church has got some struggles. Obviously, there's tension among those who are sharing the gospel. There's tension among those who are trying to live for the Lord. There's, there's a couple of women in particular. It doesn't mean that's true of every church, so we're not saying anything about that. But I'm just saying there's some tension that's going on among some ladies. And we also see that obviously this is a church where people are so wrapped up in circumstances that quite honestly, they might be struggling with this sense of joy in their life. And maybe there's so much turmoil going around them that they wrestle with peace and having the peace of God present in their life. And what we find out from Paul in these first seven verses is that for this church, these first seven verses, we learn that it's essential to have a godly thought life. Listen, no, here's what I mean. He's telling them as he leads up to verse 8, that for us to have a godly thought life is essential. Here's why. Because a godly thought life is essential for healthy relationships. Isn't it? Do you believe that? Say amen. Amen. It is essential to have joy in your life, to have a godly thought life. Just think about it for a moment. Many of us, the reason we struggle with joy is because all that stuff starts where? In the mind. What we think about ourselves. 
what other people have said things about us. I mean, all that nonsense starts up here, and it is essential for us to have a godly thought life if we're going to be able to embrace this thing called joy. It's also essential to have a godly thought life if we're going to truly experience and live in the peace that God has given us. So these first seven verses really paint a picture pointing us and pushing us to verse 8 going, listen, it is essential that you develop a godly thought life. Your relationships hinge on it. Your joy hinges on it. And your peace hinges on it. Now what Paul's going to advocate here, Paul's obviously not advocating positive thinking. All right, Some of you might read books that are positive thinking. That is not what Paul is advocating at all. He's not advocating this notion of just, you know, it, you know it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the old joke used to be that somebody uh, that was in a positive thinking church died and they went to hell. And the response was, this isn't hell and this isn't hot. Well, at the end of the day, it is hell and it is hot. So positive thinking doesn't always work, right? And so that's not what Paul's advocating. What Paul's advocating is this. If you're going to be healthy relationally, if you're going to be healthy in your walk with the Lord, if you're going to celebrate and live out this joy that Christ wants you to live out, if you're going to experience and live in this peace that God has for you, it is essential that you have a godly thought life. And so Paul challenges this church at Philippi. He challenges them with two things. And the first one he challenges them with is found in verse 8. Look at me in verse 8 when he says this. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, just, pure, lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, here it is. Think about these things. Here's the first challenge that Paul gives this church. I want you to think about these things. Now that word think in the original language means to dwell on. So it doesn't mean it's just going to cross your mind. It means you're going to labor them. Anybody like a thinker, like when something comes up, you overthink things. Anybody like that? Okay. Okay. You, you overthink it. Like if you're going to buy something, like you do all the research and you overthink it and then you decide to buy it and then you don't buy it. And you know what I'm talking about. I, I identify with you because I'm that way. Well, here's what he says. For those of us that that is a weakness for us, here's where that's going to be a strength. All right. Because he says, listen, there's some things I want you to really think deeply about. There's some things that I want you to, for lack of better words, to obsess over. It's going to help you have a godly thought life. There's some things I always think deeply about. In other words, what Paul is saying is that proper thinking is not an option for believers. It's a necessity. Did you hear me on that? Proper godly thinking is not an option it's a necessity. In fact, this phrase, think on these things, that word think in the original language is a command word. It's not an option. Paul's saying, you have to do this. This is a command. I want you to think about these things. Now, Paul does something really fascinating here. He tells us that this is not something that we can negotiate with God. This is something that has to be part of our life. And so I think we have to ask ourselves a question. Are we thinking about godly things? What occupies our thought process? What occupies the depth of our thinking life? I mean, what is it? I mean, what are we consumed most with? And Paul in a minute is going to tell us what we need to be consumed with. But here's why it's important for us to understand that we need to think about the right things is because we live in a world that's pushing on us this notion of, hey, go with what you feel, right? If you feel it, roll with that. Well, I have a really interesting thought on that one. What dictates your feelings? What dictates your feelings? Your thought life, right? Your thought life is direct reflection. Listen, what we think shapes our 
lives. For example, a while ago, we sang a song that says, who the sun set free is free indeed. And you say, I, you know, here's who you say that I am, and we believe that. Well, listen, does that really shape your life? Listen to me, honestly, when you leave here this morning and you go out there and the world around you says that you're nobody, you're worthless, you're a failure, you can't amount to anything, that you're reckless, whatever the world might say about you, is that what your heavenly father says about you? No, he says you are loved, you're accepted, you're adopted, and you're a child of the most high God. Are we focusing on those things? See, what Paul is saying, listen, it is crucial that you focus on it because the world wants you to focus on what you feel. I want you to think about same things that are going to determine the actions of your life. And then Paul lists eight different things. He lists eight things that we need to think deeply about. Now, just listen to me. As we go through these, there's going to be a real notion and a tendency on your part to go, I do that, I do that, I do that. Well, listen, here's the point. Are we not just thinking about these things, but thinking deeply about these things? Are these things that wreck us? When we think about it, are these the things that are always on our mind? Are these the things that are consuming my thought life? And if not, we're not doing these things. Paul says, listen, if we're going to have healthy relationships, if we're going to experience joy and, and enjoy the peace that God has given us, we've got to have a godly thought life. It is, listen, it is not optional. Now, why am I laboring this? Because, listen, I've sat where you sat before. And I've heard amazing messages, not that this will be one, but I've heard them. And then when I leave, there's that notion of going, well, that was really good, and I never put anything into practice. Listen, what we're talking about this morning matters. There's not an option for us. We are called to think on these things. This is a command of God, and here's the things he tells us to think of, and we're going to go through each one. The first one is, he says, whatever is true, think on this thing. Now, truth is a really weird word in our world today, right? You do know that, right? Because if you were to throw out a phrase in front of truth, that would make people uncomfortable. And here's the phrase, or another, an adjective, it's absolute. So if you ever talk to someone about absolute truth, we just get really nervous about that. Because absolute truth means something's universal, it's consistent, and it's eternal. And if you were to talk to people, maybe even some people sitting here today, we're not sure we buy into the fact that there's absolute truth. Well, I'm just going to tell you, and you may disagree with me, but that's okay because you're wrong. This is absolute truth. The Word of God, I didn't mean to offend you, I'm sorry, but the Word of God is absolute truth. This is consistent, it is universal, and it is eternal. Can I get an amen from those that believe that? I'm telling you, this is truth. And what Paul says, I want you to do is, I want you to think about the truth. Now, you probably already know this. But what Paul's indicating is, I want you to spend your time focusing on what's true, not what is false. Now, this illustration, I may have used it before, and you may already know this, but I didn't know this that many years ago. And I learned something that just kind of blew my mind. I was talking to a friend of mine who, who, about five years ago, he used to work for the FBI, and we were talking about some things, and he said, you know what, Doug, he said, and we're talking about money, and, he, and I, he, he was working in the fraud department for a little while, that's why this conversation came up, and I said to him, I said, hey, Javen, I said, you know, how does the Department of Treasury, the fraud department, how do they know when a counterfeit passes through there, and you probably already know the answer to this, but do you know how they know? is I would think, because that's the way I think, I would think you would study all the variations of what is coming through, all the variations of counterfeit, the different kinds of ink, the different kinds of format. So when a counterfeit came through, you would know that. That is not what the Department of Treasury does. Do you know what they do? They study the real thing. All they focus on is the real dollar bill. 
All they focus on is exactly the one that was created for us to spend. That's all they spend their time on. They don't ever look at the counterfeits. All they do is focus on the right dollar bill. Then when a counterfeit comes along, they notice it. Why? Because they spend all their time on the true one. And what a beautiful idea for us. See, we don't need to spend our time focusing on the false things the world throws at us. If we would spend our time focusing on the truth of what God has given us, and we would invest our time and think deeply about the truth of God's word, when a counterfeit or a false teaching came our way, we would know it. Right? Like many of you, and there's nothing wrong with this, but many of you like, man, I would love to do a deep search like, in, like into Mormonism, into Jehovah's Witness, and there's nothing wrong with knowing those different kind of belief systems, what they believe out there. But I'm telling you, many of us would rather study that stuff than study this. We need to focus on the truth. See, here's what I know about when we let the, the truth be one of those things we consume our time and consume our energy. It will not only comfort us, listen to this, it will give us conviction. Can I tell you the, one of the saddest things in my life as a believer is the amount of Christians that I've known in my life that have no real convictions about what the Bible says as it relates to the world we live in. You know what they do? They, 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 they love the Lord. That when it comes to different issues in the world, social issues in the world, we go with how we feel. We, listen church, we need to have biblical convictions. We need, not, not, just don't, don't say, well, I always grew up that way. My, my grandma told me, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't date girls that do. All that kind of, no, that's not, listen. We need to make sure that what comes out of our mouth has a biblical foundation to it. So why we do some things and don't do some things need to be based off the truth of God's word. And so he says, listen, one thing I want you to think deeply about is what is true. Now, we could just stop there, close the day, and we all struggle with that one, wouldn't we? But we've got to start there. Truth. The next thing he says is what is honorable. So I want you to think deeply about what is true, and secondly, what is honorable. That word honorable means to dwell on things that inspire reverence. That we're to spend our time dwelling on things that inspire reverence, not for each other, but for God. Reverence and all of who God is. Can you think of one thing that we do that we spend a lot of energy doing every week that would help us and inspire us and our reverence and all of the Lord? It's called worship, right? Listen, you know why I love this? See, to me, this is not singing songs. To me, this is not, well, I don't like this song. This, to me, it's not that. To me, what we do on this stage and the words that come out of the mouth and the words that we put on the screen and the words that come from us should inspire us with a reverence for God, should inspire us that while I am nothing, I deserve nothing, that I am pitiful and I am wretched, there is an eternal God who loves me and accepts me, and I get to declare that. See, that is what is honorable. Singing words out of my mouth that create reverence and awe of a holy God. Not listening to things that are going to pull me down. Now, I'm going to talk about your radio just for a moment, okay? Or your Sirius XM, whatever you're listening to. I'm telling you, what we input here impacts us. I said last week a little bit, there is godly music, there is neutral music, and there is terrible music. And I'm just going to say this to us all. I believe for many of us, we need to make sure that our radio stations are turning into something that even while we're driving to work, even while we're coming home, even while you're ready to go fight the people at Walmart, and you know you need prayer when you get there, you need to put something in your life that creates an honor in your heart and reverence and awe of who God is. Listen, there's nothing any more satisfying than about to walk through the doors of a Walmart when you know you're about to battle people with a cart, and you know that the words of Jesus just come off your lips as you got out of the car. Listen, we need to have a heart and a mind that's willing to think deeply about what are some things I can do 
that are honorable. One of those is worship. Another thing he talks about is you need to think about what is true, what is honorable, and he says what is just. That word just just means what is right. He says, I want you to think deeply about the right things to do. Now, I'm just going to confess something right now. When I'm faced with a decision, and I know what Doug wants to do, and I probably know what God wants me to do, I kind of am in an epic battle. Anybody else face this battle? Okay. Like, I really want all that chocolate pie, but God says, man, don't be a glutton, Doug. So I, I get that. So I'm in this epic battle. Here's what I do. I begin to navigate, and I begin to think through what are a way, a loophole that I can justify my desires to get to what I want. Anybody else do that? Okay. And let's just be honest. It doesn't always happen with just chocolate pie, right? Other things, too. So to think about what is just means I need to think about what is right. I need to spend my time thinking, listen, I need to spend my time thinking about the things that are harmonious with God's standards for my life. I need to think about how does God want me to live rightly. I need to spend time thinking about how am I going to treat my neighbor? How am I going to love my spouse? How am I going to treat my coworkers? I need to spend time thinking about what is the right way to respond to a bad situation. If we're not consumed and thinking about what is just and what is right, we will go the wrong direction. We will make the wrong decision. We will say the wrong things, right? He says, I want you to think about what is just. Focus on living right. Don't focus on feeding the flesh. And then he says nextly, whatever is pure, whatever's pure. In other words, he says, I want you to dwell on, I want you to think deeply about purity, holiness. Now, can we agree that we live in a world that feeds us all the time in morality and impurity? Right? Can we agree with that? And what Paul's saying is, listen, it's affecting you. You know, I, I grew up as, I was a youth pastor for 19 years. It was amazing in the 19 years how many students could come to me and tell me whether it was music or magazines or what they were watching, whatever it was, and they would literally say stuff like this, it doesn't affect me. Maybe you've said that. You're wrong. Everything that we allow into our life has an impact on our life, good or bad. It has an impact on our life. And what Paul says, I want you to think deeply about your purity. I want you to think deeply about things that are pure, things that push you toward holiness. Why? Because we have a world that wants to throw at you immorality, a world that wants to throw at you impurity, and I want you to focus on purity. I don't want you to dwell on lustful things. You know, people lust after people, and people lust after things. I don't want you thinking about those things. I want you to think about things that are pure, that are holy, and will push you that direction. So I want you to think deeply about whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure. Then he says, whatever is lovely. I want you to think about whatever's lovely. If you're sitting beside your spouse, you're probably thinking you're talking about each other, but it's not, okay? Whatever lovely means, I want you to dwell on attractive things. Now, once again, I'm not talking about your spouse, okay? I want you to dwell on attractive things. Well, listen, as someone who's broken, maybe lost, or even as a believer, do you know what the most attractive thing that I need to dwell on is? It's the love of God, right? See, the most attractive thing is to me that I know my junk. You don't, but I do. I know my failures. I know my flaws. I know my weaknesses. I know my struggles. I know where I blow it. I know when I don't blow it. I know my story. And there's a part of me going, how in the world could a God that is so big and so loving that requires so much and a high standard of living could ever look at me and use me for his glory? And I'm able to celebrate the most attractive thing is that it's his love of God 
that accepts me. It's the love of God that says, you know what? I'm going to clean you up and I'm going to change you and I'm going to make you mine. It's the love of God that should be attracted to all of us. Because there's some of you here today, this morning, and here's your thought process. Well, there's, if, if you knew everything that I've done, Doug, then there's no way God would love me. There's no way God would accept me. I'm telling you, you're wrong. I could read you story after story after story in the Bible of people that rebelled and God still used them. I mean, the first one on my mind is David. David didn't only sleep with a married woman. He had her husband killed. And yet the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. That could be our story too. We need to start allowing lovely things occupy our mind, not dwelling on worldly things. And then he says this, whatever's lovely and then whatever is commendable. I want you to think deeply about whatever is commendable. That word commendable just means this, to dwell on things that lift you up. Dwell on things that lift you up. We live in a world that does a really good job at tearing us down. You've probably got friends that do a really good job of tearing you down. We let people tear us down. He says, listen, I want your mind to be thinking deeply about things that are commendable, about things that build you up. And quite frankly, when I read scripture and I read who I am, but who I am in Christ, that is commendable. That is something that builds me up, knowing that I can be wretched and pitiful, but God still loves me and he used me and he cares about me. That's really good news, right? Because even in my own mind, I'm not that usable, but God chooses to use me. And the same thing's true for you. He says, I want you to think about things that lift you up and consequently things that lift others up, whatever is commendable. And then he says two more things here. Then he says, whatever is excellent. He says, is there anything excellent? Whatever is excellent, I want you to think about. In other words, I want you to dwell on living a life of excellence. I want you to focus on living a life of virtue. I want you to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord. Whatever is excellent. Think about that. Focus on that. Don't focus on living a self centered life, focus on living a life of excellence. I don't know about you, but I've heard people say, especially even in church life, when we're doing things for the Lord, you'll say stuff like this, well, well, that's good enough for the church. Actually, it's not. Whatever we do, we're to do it to who? As unto the Lord, right? There needs to be a level of excellence in how we live. In fact, the Apostle Paul, at the very end of his life, as he's talking to Timothy, he said, hey, Timothy, guess what? I fought a good fight. I finished the race, and I kept the faith. You know what he's telling Timothy? Hey, listen, I was a man who was faithful in the end. I was a man who was persistent in the end, and I was a man who committed to fighting a good fight. I was a man committed to excellence. And he said, listen, I want you to think about what does it mean to live a life of excellence, of virtue for the Lord. And then one more thing he says here, which may be my favorite. He says, and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. I want you, Paul says, to dwell on things that causes you to praise who? Praise God. Rather than bemoan and focus on your circumstances. Hey, listen to this. Have you all been through some stuff before? Have you all been through a difficult time? Have you been in a rocky patch in your life at some point, whether in a relationship, a marriage, or financially? Have you been in some bad stuff before? 
Sure you have. And isn't there moments in our life that we, that we find ourselves trying to fix it on our own and we're focused solely on our situation? We're focused solely on our circumstance? Well, to focus on what is praiseworthy is to focus on this. That while I'm going through this stuff, while I'm going through this nonsense, while this stuff is crashing down around me, here's what I choose to focus on. That my God is in control. That my God is faithful. That he's always been faithful. He always will be faithful. And that my God has got my back. That's what it means. That when I get to the difficult, most terrible times of life, I'm able to focus on what is praiseworthy. You know what's praiseworthy? God is faithful. God is loving. God is caring. And most importantly, God's got your back, right? And so Paul tells this church, listen, if you want to have a godly thought life, here's where it starts. Think about these things. What is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Think on this. Let this be what you dwell on. Now, for some of you, if you're really honest like me, you look at that and go, I got some work to do, don't I? But listen, do you want a godly thought life? Do you want to have healthy relationships? Do you want to have a healthy marriage? Do you want to experience and live out and celebrate the joy that Christ has for you? Do you want to experience the peace that God has for you? That's where it starts. Think about these things. And then he gives them one more challenge real quickly in verse 9. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen from me, practice these things. So he said, think on these things, not what's Paul saying. Put them into practice. So it's not just enough to dwell on these things, to change the way you're thinking. Once you change the way you think, once the Holy Spirit helps you change the way you think, and now you're thinking about what is true, what is pure, what is honorable, all these things, now live it out. Now, it's not good enough just to think about it. Now you've got to go live it out. In fact, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 7. Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount with a parable, and he says this. He says, for those that hear my words and don't put them into practice, they're like the foolish man who built his house on the sand, and when the storms and the winds came, what happened? It came crashing down. But blessed are those who hear my words and put them into practice. They're like the man who built his house on the what? Rock. See, listen. You may know these things, but if we don't practice them, what good are they? See, here's what I believe. If we really think deeply about the eight things we just mentioned, the overflow of our thought life is going to be reflected in how we live. We're going to want to live those things out. We're going to want to live purity out. We're going to live commendable. We're going to want to live truth out loud. And so he says, not only think about these things, but I want you to practice these things. And let's go back to verse 9. I want you to notice the last thing in verse 9. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, now listen, if you're a follower of Christ, is the, is the presence and peace of God always with you? Yes, but listen to me. He says, if you will live a life where you're thinking on these things and you're practicing these things, you will better recognize the peace and the presence of God in your life. See, when I'm wrapped up in truth, when I'm wrapped up in purity, when I'm wrapped up in being honorable, and I'm wrapped up in these eight things, and I'm practicing these eight things, I'm more aware of the presence and the peace of God that is with me than ever before in my life. He says, if you do it, the peace of God will be with you. You will not only have it, but you'll recognize it, and you will enjoy it. So this morning, Paul issues a challenge to the church. Same challenge I think he's issuing to us today, and it's simply this. Where is your thought life this morning? Where's your thought life? If we want to have 
healthy relationships, if we want to have experience the joy and the peace of Christ and celebrate those things, we must have a godly thought life. And the only way to do it is to focus on these eight things and to put them into practice. So where's your thought life this morning? What occupies your thought life? For some of you, it's anxiousness. For some of you, it's worry. For some of you, you're wired a little bit like Doug, and you're the what could happen person, right? You think about a situation, what could go wrong kind of guy, and you're thinking about that. Listen, that's never going to develop a godly thought life. It starts with those eight things, putting those things, thinking about them, and putting them into practice. And it's important for us to realize that in doing that, it will be shaping how we live our lives. And so this morning, if you feel like, hey, Doug, I've been, the things I'm thinking are not godly, and they're not God-honoring, I just want to challenge you. Would you just ask God to help you change the way you think this morning? For some of you, maybe that's the way you think and the, the way you think about your life, your marriage, your relationships. For some of you, maybe that's the way you think about your relationship with the Lord. Maybe some of you come in here and feel like you're unlovable, you're uncared for, but you need to know that the love of God is bigger than your greatest sin. It, his grace will cover everything, and maybe you need to surrender to him today. Maybe for some of you, you need to think about these things, and it's going to remind you of the necessity of living a life of obedience to him. My question is, what does your thought life look like this morning? Is it a godly thought life, or is it more of a worldly thought life? And do you want to change it? I don't know about you. Now, close with this. Sometimes in my life, I get frustrated. Anybody else get frustrated? And I get frustrated where, where I'm at in my life. Like, you know, I, I feel like I should be here spiritually. I feel like I should be here relationally. I feel like, and I get frustrated. But then I'm reminded, Doug, is it exactly the place I, I have set a course for my life to be at? So if I'm frustrated about my spiritual walk, it's because I've set a course for that. If I'm frustrated about the relationship in my life, it's because I've allowed those things, and I've, I've set that course for my life. So if I don't like where I'm at, guess what? Change the course for my life. And for some of you, if you don't like where you found yourself, maybe it begins with changing the way that you think. And you need to think about what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely what is commendable, what is excellent, and what is praiseworthy. And not just think deeply about them, but put it into practice. And so if you're struggling this morning, we're going to have some folks on both sides that would love to pray with you. They'll kind of pull the curtains back. And so if I can have a couple of those couples do that for me, be there. Or if you just need to come to the altar and get on your knees before a holy God and say, God, my thinking is out of line with the truth of your word. Would you help me change the way that I think? Would you help me win the battle right here this morning? So however the Lord may be prompting you, would you just respond to that? Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the passage today. I thank you that every one of us in the room, I know whether we're believers or not, we want great relationships. We would love to live a life filled with joy. We would love to feel peace and enjoy that. But God, for those of us who are believers, we need to know that that beginning place starts with the mind. That if we want to experience those things, we've got to change the way we think. And Paul laid out for us, by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, eight things that we need to dwell on. And not just dwell on them, but put them to practice. And so God, I pray for believers in the room today that we would leave here committed 
to do these things. Committed to dwell on these things. Committed to put them into practice. But God, then I pray for the person who doesn't know you. May you remind them the only way they're going to find joy, the only way they're going to find peace, the only way they're going to have the right kind of healthy relationships is first by having a personal relationship with your son Jesus. So God, I pray for the person who needs to do that. Today, may they just surrender their life. May they just acknowledge that they know that you love them and that you sent your son to die for them and they know that they're a sinner and they would, they would turn from their sin and turn to you. May God, they make that commitment this morning and pass from death to life and to know that they can leave here being a child of God. So God, however you're working today, would you just lead us to respond? Would you just stir our hearts and will we be faithful to follow? So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, listen, if you just need somebody to pray with you, maybe you're going through some junk. Pat and Willie over here would love just to pray with you. You want to come to the altar? Come to the altar. But whatever you're going through today, listen, there's a God who loves you and cares about you. He is not only with you, he is for you. And all you've got to do is cry out to him. So however the Lord might be leading you as we sing, would you be faithful to respond to that?